0: Welcome, all of you watching online as well. Uh, let's all stand one more time. This is kind of connect everybody. If you don't have a Bible or a phone or something, just hold your hand up. is our Bible confession. Say, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what the Bible says I can do. Today, I'll be taught the Word of God, and I boldly confess. My mind is alert. My heart is receptive, and I'll never be the same again. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. Can I just be tacky for a minute? Let me go ahead and wish all of you Merry Christmas. I just like to get ahead of it, you know what I'm saying? Uh, It's so good to see you. See this kind of crowd uh, after the pandemic is absolutely wonderful. I applaud you. Um, you know two years ago we were at home I was filming our services at home and our music and our guys would come up and film it we would put it online it's good to be back uh, we don't know what we've missed until we get back and say man I got to I've had people say I got to get back in church and let me encourage you don't let Easter and Christmas be your two worship times make this a lifestyle make it a part of, of, of every day Every week, and uh, I'm beginning this this, this special message uh, in call. It's entitled "The Resurrection: The Process." What's it take to get to an empty tomb? Uh, you know that was a, a great moment of victory for Christianity, our faith, when Christ was risen from the dead. And uh, but but I like to talk about what it took to get there. Now there was a story of a family that uh, vacationed. The whole family went to. Israel, Jerusalem. They wanted to go to the Holy Land. And while they were there, unfortunately, uh, the mother died. Uh, And uh, the daughter was so distraught that her husband said, don't worry about it. You know, I'll take care of all the arrangements. So, he began to do what he needed to do and went to the consulate there in Jerusalem and said, you know, while my family was here, my mother-in-law has passed, and I just need to know what we need to do to arrange for Uh, Her burial he said well if you bury her here it will cost you $150 if you ship her back to America it will be $5,000 so he thought for a little while it took him just a a moment to gather his thoughts and he said you know he said "Uh, I think we'll go ahead and and ship her back and he said well it's gonna be $5,000 you must have really loved your mother-in-law an awful lot. He said, well, no, not really. He said, I just heard a story of a a man who was buried, and on the third day he rose again. I can't take that chance. (laughs) This is not Mother's Day yet. I'll repent (laughs) on May 8th for that joke. But uh, we do celebrate because they couldn't keep the miracle down. They couldn't keep the Son of God in the grave. The devil tried everything he could, and it didn't work. And let me say this to you. He's still trying to take out Jesus through you because you're one of his kids. You're one of his creation. And his goal is to destroy you on earth, not maybe physically, but destroy your life, your love, your family, your home, your job, your business, everything else. His goal is to steal, kill, and destroy. And right after that, Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. One of the greatest testimonies of our faith is that we are overcomers even in the midst of our adversities, that we don't quit, we don't stop, we don't give up, we don't discount what Jesus did 2,000 years ago, that we continue to fight, we continue to believe, and we don't give up, and we don't give out. Bad things happen to good people. And sometimes good things happen to bad people, and we just don't understand it. But that's not our call. We are called to serve Him, to love Him, regardless of what's going on around us. That's what we're called to do. And uh, some people like like the empty tomb. I, I want everything to be great, but uh, and I'm sure Jesus. I mean, in the garden, it said He sweat as though there were great drops of blood, and that He was in anguish over what He was facing. It would have been great if he could have just said, you know what, not going to die. I'm just going to clean things up. I don't want to have to go through that. But he showed us how to suffer redemptively. And I'm not suggesting that you have to go look for a place to suffer. Uh, You know, we don't have to look. And this is not a theology of suffering. But the Bible says he learned obedience through the things he suffered. And we too, if we will hold on to him, can learn obedience, how to trust him and stay in him. And uh, continue to follow him in the difficult times. Jesus said in John chapter 12, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. In essence, what this is saying is, in order for the glory of God to be revealed in that moment, Jesus had to go to the cross. The greatest glory of God is seen when we stand in the face of our most difficult hour. We are living in a world right now that is going through a lot. I have friends in the Ukraine. Just four years ago, I was there preaching a conference in this beautiful city of Kiev, And today they're being bombed, and I've been in contact throughout the process with them. The adversity, the difficulty—how are you doing? And you know, the people of faith over there—they don't even act like there is a war. They just keep believing God that He's going to protect them, He's going to get them through it, and everything's going to be all right. It's an amazing testimony of what Jesus looks like. And you know, we've throughout the uh, years—I grew up with a mother who dragged us to church. and, you know, we live in a world today where parents ask their kids if they want to go to church. My mama never asked me one time. She said, get your body up out of bed. We're going to go worship God. You know, and we live in a day right now where whatever the kids want, this is time for you to become a parent and quit being the kid and start telling them what you're going to do we got a generation of children that are waiting to be led, longing to be led, longing to have some form of, of structure in their life in a world that's filled with chaos. And, and so we, we trust in the risen Savior that Jesus, the one spirit that raised him from the dead, will quicken our mortal bodies and that we will be strong in every aspect of our lives. It's very important that we realize that we're not going to get to where we want to get without going through some of the things that jesus went through but what he looks like you know there are pictures of jesus and people have painted pictures of jesus now forever we don't know what he looked like so the question is what are we supposed to look like the world questions what does a christian look like well i went to a church i got saved in i didn't look like a christian and they were scared of me it worked perfectly you know, they didn't call me brother. They just waved at me from a distance, you know. But at Mosaic, we believe that everybody is loved by God. It doesn't matter what you look like on the outside. I tell you, you can, take, you can take someone who's wearing holy jeans, long hair. That was me, by the way. And you walk into a church, and it doesn't matter What matters is a Christian looks like a person who possesses peace, walks in joy. It's not what you wear. It's not about your hair. It's about you letting Jesus come out of the countenance that you possess right here. I'm going to be a happy person regardless of the adversity and the difficulty. And so, Paul put it this way. He said, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection, and participation in his sufferings, Paul knew that there would not be much appreciation for resurrection power without the struggle to get there. The people, anybody that will tell you that, you know, you don't love much and, unless you've been forgiven much, and you have been forgiven much. Even if you've been a good person, you have to realize Christ's love is what forgave you and forgives you every day and that we understand that. And that's what a Christian looks like, someone who understands, I don't deserve what Jesus did for me, but I am thankful for what he did for me. And so we have to go through that process. And Paul said, I not only want to know the power of his resurrection, but I also want to participate in his sufferings. How many of you know when you tell somebody you're a Christian, oftentimes they look at you with a scowl? I received a call yesterday from a guy who was telling me that he was going through a struggle. He's 40 something, and he's had these friends his whole life, went to school with them, and their lifestyle is quite different than his. And he said, I offered to drive them around, and if the minute I said anything about Jesus, they felt judged. He said, Pastor, I didn't say anything that was off color, I didn't say anything critical of their lifestyle. But see, what happens is when you walk in love, it creates such a contrast that sometimes people judge themselves. And what we do is we keep loving. What I've realized is it's not always what I say that makes a difference. Sometimes it's the silence that makes the difference. I'll show you that in just a moment. Paul says, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Then we go to Luke chapter 23, and Jesus says this, or the Bible says this, two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed, When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he's God's Messiah, the chosen one. for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. What a great line. The man didn't do any good deeds. He had done nothing up to the point of him about to die. He was a criminal. He had been arrested. He's now being hung. He was found guilty. This is a death sentence. What a great reflection of God's love. The thief on the one side, the one who rejected him, mocking him, mimicking everything that the soldiers and other people were saying. You see, there are people around the world today that question whether God exists. And matter of fact, they're angry at God for everything that's going on, when in reality... God wants everyone to turn to him. The Bible says it's not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. In other words, we don't want to reject him. And we live in a world filled with people who question his his person, his presence, his power, who he is. They question it because they're looking at everything going on around and they're taking up the same voice of the world. That's what was happening with a thief that rejected Christ He was basically calling Jesus out. And if you'll notice, Jesus never responded to him. He only responded to the thief that says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. It's not that Jesus was mad or upset about the rejection. He just didn't have anything else to say. You see, he had gone around, the Bible says, doing good. And healing all who were sick and oppressed to the devil and we live in a world today that says well you know that was a dispensation that was a time in history but the Bible says he's the same yesterday today and forever whatever he did back then he will do today he is the same God today because we don't serve a, an age of miracles we serve a God of miracles And he is still resurrecting people. In fact, the Bible says the very spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, if that spirit lives in you, he will quicken your mortal body. He will strengthen you. He will empower you. He's able to do more than we can think, ask, or imagine according to the power that works in us. And so when people say, I don't know where God is. Well, if you are a Christian, God lives in you. He is there all the time. And some people measure whether God is with them or not by the way they feel. Can I tell you, sometimes I don't feel like a Christian. (laughs) Sometimes I don't act like a Christian. You ever pull out in front of me, I'm going to honk at you. You're going to say, well, pastors shouldn't do that. No, you shouldn't pull out in front of pastors. (laughs) And there are times I just look at myself and I go, I thank God that the cross is bigger than my problems and my sin. (laughs) You see, we look around. We want everybody to be perfect. We expect everybody else to be perfect. We measure everybody else by their actions. We measure ourselves by our intentions. And you know what? They're both one and the same. You say, well, I don't act that way, but you think that way. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he, whether you've acted on it or not. So, the goal is that God wants to change our hearts. And he wants us to love the way he loves and to accept the way he accepts. And that's why at Mosaic, we're just a group of people, a bunch of messed up people that God said, I'm bringing you together to make you a beautiful picture of what my faith and Christianity is all about. The only reason any of us are alive, the only reason I get to stand up here is because of the grace of God. I've never been qualified to preach in my life. I've never been qualified. So, guess what? If you've never been qualified, you can't be disqualified. <laughs> I just tell people I was never qualified to start with. The only reason I'm preaching, I can't figure it out. God said, do it. I did it. I'm doing it. I'll continue to do it. You see, you can never be disillusioned until you were first illusioned. So, never be illusioned. Therefore, you'll never be disillusioned. You're disappointed in your kids. Don't be disappointed in your kids. They're probably disappointed in you. (laughs) Whatever you sow, you reap. You know, the minute you start speaking well of them and remembering all the good things, you see, A-type people have an ability to find all the wrong and talk about it. And and right now, the A-type people are really quiet. I really expected some of y'all that were like B and C to really go hallelujah and elbow your spouse. Have you ever noticed some people can find problems, but they can't find solutions because they never look for them. They're only looking for the problem. Jesus said, I've identified the problem. Now, I'm going to become the solution. He didn't talk about your sin. He died for your sin. It's not about how you feel. The Bible doesn't say those who feel their God will do great exploits. It says those who know their God. You know, there are people that God uses that you wouldn't even talk to, and you would pray they wouldn't be your neighbor. I've had some of them. I'm thinking, dear Jesus, and I think he looks at me and goes, dear Mark. You see, the cross wiped away anybody's right to judge anybody else. Because when Jesus hung there, he hung there for the whole world, not just the people that you like. Now, I had a couple of neighbors I wish he hadn't have died for, but <laughs> and God showed me it wasn't about my neighbors. It was about me. I was the problem, not them, which I didn't want to hear that. How many you know God says things you don't want to hear all the time? I read the Bible, and it irritates me sometimes. You know, well, if somebody hits you on one cheek, turn and let them hit you on the other. Not in my neighborhood. (laughs) Always like the Scripture, hit them back and ask for forgiveness. (laughs) I know that's not right, so just, you know, just go with it just for a minute. (laughs) Know that that's not right. I know you can take that out of context, but in context, I know it's wrong that I'm called to love, I'm called to forgive. Somebody says, go one mile. I didn't even like the first mile. God said, go another one. You see, this is what Christianity looks like, that we don't judge people, we don't measure people, we don't hate people, we're not mean to people. But if they're mean to me, I don't care. That's where Christianity says, this is what Jesus looks like. If you're mean to me, I'm going to be nice to you. Yeah, that doesn't get a lot of applause. We're called to go the extra mile life is not always easy and it's never going to be easy but you can be stronger bigger than life itself by allowing Jesus to be stronger and bigger in you and so we have to walk in faith the the whole idea of of everything that's gone on in the world wasn't about our physical health it wasn't about our well-being it was about dividing the people of God it was about creating division between the people of faith and and so it's not gonna work it hasn't worked it won't work because we're stronger we serve Jesus and I'm telling you there'll be an outpouring on this earth like you've never seen in your lifetime I declare it you say how do you know that because I know that God will not be outdone I know how the I've read the end of the book I know how it works we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony I'm declaring what will be, not what was or what is. I'm declaring what's going to happen. Your kids may be acting like the devil right now. You need to wake up every morning and say, Hey Angel, how you doing? They'll cuss you out and just keep calling them angel. Now you didn't cuss anybody out when I was a kid. You landed on the floor looking up at daddy. You know what I'm saying? Now you correct your kid, you're going to jail. I mean, you know what I'm saying. You know what, our children are looking for leaders and we've failed them, but I'm telling you, we're not going to fail them for long. You're going to rise up and know how to love strong and love long. The events of Holy Week tell us loudly that God's commitment to clean things up is greater than our capacity to mess things up. His commitment to clean things up is greater than our capacity to mess things up. In other words, you think you sin, your sin has, has been bigger than, than the cross. It's, it's worse than any, anything. The cross overshadows it all. His power, his forgiveness, his grace, his mercy overshadows every bit of it. The rejection I hear by the one thief, a Bible says, a fool says in his heart, there is no God. If somebody says there, are no, there is no God, the Bible says that person is a fool to say there is no God. And you say, I don't feel him. I'm not experiencing him. This is how come Paul said we live and walk by faith. Bad things happen to good people. Good things happen to bad people. Like I said, we don't know why, but we keep serving him and serving him and serving him. If you think that God's primary goal for you is that you be an example of moral goodness rather than a trophy of His grace, you'll never be honest about your deepest sins, struggles, and secrets ever. You'll always feel the pressure to pretend you're better than you truly are. And the reason the world has not been honest about Their deepest sins and struggles is because the church has been the ones to judge them. And we've got to stop judging people who are struggling and sinning and going through (laughs) it and start hugging and holding because that's what Jesus did. People are going to mess up, people close to you are going to mess up, they're going to make mistakes. And you know what? What Jesus looks like is you hugging the person and saying, we are going to win this battle. We're not going to quit. We're not going to lay down. We're going to stand together. We're going to walk together. We're going to pray together. We're going to be together. We're going to keep on. I want people to come to this church just as you are. You know, it freaks some people out, and for years I used to tell people, if there's not cussing in our lobby, we're not doing church right. <laughs> Why? Because that's where Jesus went. That's how come the Pharisees were always mad at Jesus. He got invited to parties. They didn't. We've judged the wrong people. Bible says to judge yourself, not everybody else. That's what we're called to do, And and you know, when I say that, Uh, you know, some people get mad, but I'm thinking, you know, I want people to come in here. I'll never forget when I first started my first church, there was a young lady who would come to church by herself in her 20s that that would be drunk every Sunday. It was a hangover every Sunday morning, and she would actually sleep through my service. Now, that's a challenge for a young preacher going, how can you sleep? I got something to say. Well, come to find out her parents were born again, lived in Tulsa, and they were praying for her. And they told her about our church and said, I want you to go. And you know what? That young lady now today is married, kids, serving God. I just let her be drunk every Sunday morning. We never threw her out. Nobody sat next to her or they would have been drunk too. She had that much going on. <laughs> I'm telling you right now, there were days she's on the front row. And I felt a little tipsy. <laughs> I probably preached happy. but here's the difference. She didn't reject Jesus. She just didn't embrace everything Jesus had. Most people don't reject God. They just don't know how to embrace God because they look at their sin in contrast to his love and think there's no way he could love somebody like me. There's no way Jesus could love somebody like me. You know, we know ourselves all too well, and we are our own worst enemy. It's not your mom, your dad, your first grade teacher. You're your own worst enemy. You don't see yourself as lovable. You don't see yourself as forgivable. You don't see yourself that way. You know your thoughts. You know your intentions. You know everything about you. I, as a preacher, been preaching this thing for a long time. I mean a long time. I ain't going to tell you how long because you'll think I'm really old. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> this is well-earned color. Color. Some of y'all paying for this color. I earned it. <laughs> I don't look too bad for 90. <laughs> I know some of you go, Mom, he's 90 years old and he's still preaching. <laughs> kind of missed the point, didn't you? <laughs> Repentance. I, I look back on my life and wonder, how come it's so difficult for somebody to say, I'm wrong? Some of y'all haven't heard your spouse say that in 35 years. Some of you don't say that ever, I'm wrong. Really, repentance just says, God, I'm a sinner, I'm wrong, and I need a Savior. That's what repentance is. It's not about you changing uh, the clothes you wear, cutting your hair. It's not about any of that. I'm on a zoom call uh, invited to a zoom call every Saturday morning with a group of uh, Christians and Christian leaders out of California and it's it's kind of a small group of guys that talk about some pretty challenging topics and it's pretty amazing I, I get on this the zoom call and I've met most of them but not all of them and uh, yesterday I was on that call. I was here at the church and I just came up to spend a little time and 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 then have this call and uh, I, these guys, one of them was from Poland, two of them from Chicago. One of them, was Chicago police officer, but but most of the guys are in California, and and they're talking about Jesus, and, and they're using words that you would call uh, colorful. I'm just saying, and I, these guys, and they, they're they're but they're talking about Jesus with such a deep trust. If it, it, their language is a little different than those of us in Oklahoma, where we say things like shucks. Dad gummit. <laughs> they don't know what those words are. <laughs> they're using really fancy words that 20 years ago I would have said you're not even saved. <laughs> but I'm listening to them yesterday, and I tell you I'm so I get goosebumps thinking about they're talking about what God has done for them and he blank sure has and and I'm just going glory to Jesus. <laughs> You know you don't want to correct somebody like that they might shoot you I love God and I love you go to heaven you know (laughs) but the reality is you say well why don't you correct them because there's not anything in the Bible called the ministry of correction (laughs) it's like okay you all need to shut up and change the way you're addressing this I have the ministry and the gift of correction you have the gift of love. And i got to tell you, I've listened to these guys, and I thought, some of these guys seem to love Jesus more than I do, and I'm a preacher. I mean, but, but now their language might look a little different. You see what I'm saying? We're living in a world right now that, that we have, we, we've crossed a lot of lines, and I'm very thankful because religion is all about our goodness being rewarded. That's what religion is. I do enough good things, and if I do enough good things, God will like me more. God will love me more. God can't love you any more than he loves you right now. This is not about God's love for you. This is really about our love for God because God loves you. As a matter of fact, he doesn't just say he loves you. He is love. Religion is all about our goodness being rewarded, but Christianity is all about our badness being forgiven. And, and, you know, throughout generations, millenniums, people have been saying, what must I do to be saved? Most people say, well, you need to quit smoking, drinking, cussing, chewing, dating girls that do. That's, that's our definition of Christianity, but that's not God's definition of Christianity. I mean, Peter went around, he cut people's ears off. Hi, I'm a disciple of Jesus. You mess with him, I'm taking half your head. These disciples were a mess uh, you look at the prophets of old they were like I mean hiding in caves and messing up and having people killed and and but they knew God and they never quit on God and they get back up and they would they would fight for Jesus Even in the midst of their wrong, and and sometimes we quit because you you get saved and you're excited about getting saved. And this guy's like he's he knows his problems, he admits it, but but what we do is we're not on a cross, so we get up tomorrow and and you get dumb for like two to three days. Some of y'all like two to three months. And you're like, I can't go back to church, I've done too many bad things. That's why you go back to church. You don't stay away from church because you're dumb. And you've done dumb things, that's when you go, I better press into God. Because some of y'all have been doing dumb for about two years. You're pandemic dumb. You need to overcome that. It wasn't the virus, it was like sin. You're like out of Jesus. Man, when you start listening to all the voices out there, you're not listening to moi. preaching faith into your ears and your heart, you get discouraged, you start listening to the voices of the crowd, and God's nothing, and how does this happen? And you start, holy, stop, you're not God. You're called to believe in God, not be God. And when you walk out and you walk away and you try to do life on your own, the voices out there will affect the choices in here. This man said, I hear the voices of the crowd that that are mocking him, and if you're the son of God, save yourself. And this thief over here says, oh, yeah, if you're the son of God, save yourself and save me. He wanted relief more than he wanted redemption. And you won't ever find relief without redemption. But this thief said, I don't care what all you crowd's people say, and I don't care what my friend who I'm as thick as thieves with says, What I'm going to say is, I deserve this. You don't remember me when you come into your kingdom. He had a revelation of redemption, and he didn't let the voices out there change his mind. I'm going to take this opportunity now to tell you all, don't just show up on Easter and Christmas. You're missing out on what God's doing every week. Next Sunday, I'm I'm continuing a series on miracles, and some of y'all need miracles You need miracles in your marriage. You need miracles in your finances. You need miracles. And you say, Well, why would I believe in miracles? Why wouldn't you believe in miracles? What does it cost you to believe in miracles? Well, I might be criticized by my family, they're knuckleheads. It's like this guy said, I could be criticized by the crowd if if I don't join my thickest thieves friend over here. But he said, you know what? I'm not worried about anybody else. I'm thinking about me. I need to get my life right. The problem with most people is you're trying to get everybody else's life right so that they don't mess with what's messed up in you. Maybe you're the one that needs to change. God changed my circumstances. No, God changed me. Make me able to endure the biggest knucklehead in the office. Give me the strength to overlook the sin, the criticism, the whatever it is. Instead, you're trying to get somebody fired, and God said, I brought them there to sharpen you. God has used people like that. It really irritates me with God. It's like, God, I want, I want you to change my circumstances. I want you to change my spouse. I, I want them to become more like you. And God says, I want you to become more like me. You become more like me. You won't even realize what she's doing. Oh, I wish my wife was in here right now. She's out with the kids. If she was in here, I would have got props for that. <laughs> even pastors suck up. Yeah. You take that home, won't you? Yeah. When we encounter problems in life, ask God, make us bigger, make our vision bigger than our problem, our strength greater than our adversity, and our faith bigger than our fears. You see, God wants each and every one of us to be able to endure whatever comes our way. When Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, what he was saying is, regardless of what you can beat me 39 times, you can do, I've been shipwrecked, I've been snake bit, I've been all these things. He said, none of those things matter. What matters is my response to those things. Your problem is not your problem. Your problem is your response to your problem. You're always going to have problems. In the world, the Bible says you're going to have tribulation. Take courage, I've overcome the world. I've quit asking God to not send problems my way. You say, well, I don't want any. I don't either. But I realize I can't avoid them. But what I can do is prepare for them. And that greater is He who's in me than He who's in the world and everything going on in the world. I shall not be overcome. I am an overcomer. I'm richly blessed, highly favored, empowered to prosper, walking in divine health, going from victory to victory and glory to glory. But with y'all praying for me, it's only going to get better. Yeah, my wife gets mad at me every now and then because if she ever wants to vent, I say, I ain't a dirty filter. Go find somebody else. Anyway, (laughs) she ain't in here, and I'm glad for that now. (laughs) I decided I'm not a trash basket for your problems, for your hatred, for your anger. I want to laugh my way through life. I want people to say we need to drug test him. (laughs) He's just too happy. I want to be happy the rest of my life. I want to be joy, have joy the rest of my life. And that's my choice. It's my choice. You say, well, but, but bad things happen. But, you know, in the midst of those things, you can still smile and say, God is greater than this problem that I have right now. God's greater than the challenge that this person is introducing to me. I can overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of my testimony, not somebody else's, but mine. Trouble comes your way. Stand up. Stand strong. The foundation of the Christian faith is not copying every good move Jesus made. Rather, it is Jesus dying for every bad move that we make. That's Christianity. It's not about copying everything that Jesus did, every good move he made. But it's about Jesus dying for every bad move that we make. That's called redemption. He didn't stop there. He said, "I will restore everything that the devil has stolen. I will restore." Peter said, "And the God of all grace, who called you to His eternal glory in Christ, after you suffered a little while, will Himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast." It's a crime to think when we quit, what would have happened if we hadn't quit. You see, God has saved you from things you know not of. He's been good to you in times that you can't see. He saved you from accidents you would have had that you don't know about and won't know about ever. To me, that's what the empty tomb is all about. He said, I've taken care of it all. He died so that we could live, and now he lives so that we can safely die. I can die to all the things I need to die to because I trust him. He lives so that I can try. I can die to those things, things I want. How many of you know that we're more selfish and self-centered than we think? Yeah. Every now and then I've, I've asked God, help me catch myself when I want something to go my way. Why isn't it going my way? And then all of a sudden I hear this voice, why should it go your way? <laughs> because she got her way last time. <laughs> we start measuring things. You know, what if in your life all you did was give to somebody else? Your flesh would say that's wrong, and Jesus would say you're right because he took every sin, everything that we would ever do wrong, did wrong, past, present, and future. And he said, I've made it your way. All you've got to do is turn and accept me, and I will restore you. And then I will release you. And release is twofold. When you, He'll give you the power to release the pain of your past. He'll give you the ability to release others that have hurt you and done you wrong. I have to do this all the time. There are nights I lay in bed and in a moment I can have almost a panic attack thinking about things that were wrong and that were done wrong to me. Of course I know the things I've done wrong. But then there are times I feel like I've been wronged, and it's like, if I was wrong, that means God allowed it. He didn't cause it. He allowed it, which means there's a lesson inside the wrong. There's a lesson inside there for me. Now, I don't always like that class. It was kind of like math. I mean, come on. Then there's algebra. That's when an English teacher married a math teacher because X plus Y doesn't equal anything. Was it, equal Z? No, there's a number in there. That's sick. <laughs> algebra is satanic. <laughs> Thank you. If I have an algebra teacher in here, please forgive me. You are okay. It's the rest of us that are a problem. I don't think so. <laughs> I never understood that. I was just glad to get out of it. I don't even remember what grade I made. I think they graduated me just out of sympathy. So we have the story of the rejector, the repentant one, redemption, restoration, and release. This is the plan of God. But first thing you have to do is recognize. He recognized the need. He didn't. Once you recognize that redemption's available, restoration is guaranteed. And he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. You say, I've been bad. I love the story of the prodigal, and I'll close with this. And for those of you who haven't been here in a while, I get about two closings, maybe three, if I'm really feeling good about it. (laughs) So don't like this one too much, and I'll shut her down. Anyway, so, but the story of the prodigal, when we think about the empty tomb and what Jesus did, we often feel guilt, and that's not because God wants us to feel guilt, but he wants our sin to, to draw us to him. He doesn't want it to punish us or shame us. He wants our sin to be recognized so that we can be redeemed. God loves you. He loves all of us. And, and the story of the prodigal to me is the most amazing story. The Bible says when he came to his senses, he got up out of the pig pen and started making his way back to the father. This time of year, it's time for you to realize some of y'all have been eating pig's pods for a long time. You haven't been in church, and that's not make you a Christian or not a Christian. But let me just tell you, When you hear the voices of the world day after day, month after month, year after year, telling you that things are going to get worse before they get better, let me tell you something. My God's going to get greater before he... (laughs) You don't have to worry about anything. You say, well, what if I die? Come on, you can't scare a Christian with heaven. (laughs) Come on, scare me. I've got a mansion up there, and I don't even have to pay taxes on it. And the IRS will not be there. You will not do tax returns in heaven. You will owe nothing. Every year you'll get a refund. I've already done my homework on this. That's why I want to go. Now, I know if somebody from the IRS is watching this, you think I'm talking about you. That's your ego. The only Christian way to handle prodigals is to let them go Give them to God and pray for their return with tears. And when you see them on the horizon, head hung low, run to them, wrap your arms around them, and welcome them home. Don't say, I knew you would come back. I told you. See, that's what the church says. I told you sin would wreck your life. And they talk about everything you've done instead of everything God's done. And everything that you've done can't compare with what he's done and what he's going to do in your life. Your past doesn't determine your future. Your choice today determines what's going to happen today. Your decisions today will build your future. Make choices that give God opportunity to work in your life. Trust him when you're going through something. Give it to him. The great Reformationist Martin Luther said, when I look at myself, I don't see how I can be saved. But when I look at Christ, I don't see how I can be lost. So it's time for you to quit looking at you and saying, I don't know how I can be saved and start looking at Christ and say, I just don't see how I can be lost. He came to seek and save that which was lost. People will judge you. They'll remember your mistakes without remembering what you've done for them. I live remembering the good things, and I try to always remember the good things that people do. I could point out all the bad. I'm a type A man. I tell you what, I can walk in and see a light bulb out from 150 yards away. Before I get to the building, it's almost like I know. When I worship, I'm looking and going, why is that out of place? I love you, Lord. What in the world? (laughs) Now I just try to close my eyes and get lost in it and go, God, I just love you. And I got to tell you, God loves you. I love you. And I'm so glad that you came today. My prayer is for this. I want God to do something so great in our world, not just in America, but in our world. And I think he will. I believe with everything in me. But he needs every one of us. We're better together than we are apart. You can't experience God at home the way you can experience him in church. You just can't. As much as I love online, as much as I love the ability to, to preach to the nations through uh, cameras and all of that, everybody needs a home church. Everybody needs a place to call home and gather and have people cheer them on and hug their neck and shake their hand and encourage them. I pray that you would let us do that for you. And if it's not us, I want to encourage you to find a church this year that you feel like you can grow in and that your family can can grow in. It's very, very important. As a pastor, I no longer have a selfish ambition that Mosaic is your place, but I do have an ambition that you will find a place like Mosaic where you're a piece of what God's putting together to make a beautiful picture of Christianity in the world in which we live. That's my prayer. So let's bow our heads, close our eyes just for a moment. As I look across this auditorium filled with people today, I know that there are those of you that came here hurting. It's not a surprise and it doesn't take a profit. I know that there are those of you right now that say, I really need a change in my life. But I'm afraid of what somebody's going to say. I'm afraid of what someone's going to think. I'm afraid that I'll have to get a new friend group, which is probably what you might need to do. But whatever the case may be I can promise you this I can promise you this when you look at Christ you won't be able to see how you can be lost quit looking at yourself quit listening to the voices of those around you you could never be saved you've done too much you cannot out the blood of Jesus Christ you cannot out the cross with every head bowed every eye closed if you'd simply say I need Prayer to be saved today. I know Christ has forgiven me, but I've not confessed my sin. And the Bible says, all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Heads bowed, eyes closed. If you say, just pray for me, I want to ask you to slip your hand up and put it right back down. Just slip your hand up. Yes, ma'am. Yes, yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Back here, over here. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. So many of you today saying, yes, I need Jesus. Thank you. I want us all to pray this prayer. and Those of you watching online, I want you to pray this with me right now. Say, Father God, thank you so much for sending your only son to die on the cross for my sin. Jesus, thank you for giving your life for me. Today I give my life to you. I repent of my sin, and I declare full of faith, I am now saved. Amen. You know, I want you to understand that the devil will do everything he can because when I got born again many years ago, I was not in any way behaving right, was not a good person, was not doing good things. And when I got born again, it was like just for a moment the weight of the world was lifted off of me. And every day after that, I had to get up and say, I'm saved, not because I feel saved, I'm saved because I know I'm saved. I'm saved because I gave my life to Jesus, and he said, I'll never leave you, and I'll never forsake you. So, next Sunday, or actually next Saturday night, trust me, you're going to have opportunities like you've never had before. Uh, Every party in town is going to invite you to come. And all I can say is, if you go, get up on Sunday morning and come to church. Uh, Listen, I know how to deal with people who are high and drunk. (laughs) Been doing it now for a long time. And, and we just, we love you, and we want the best for you. And I know that sounds really bizarre. In most churches, they'd never say that. But it, it's my heart. It's always been my heart to love hurting people, to love people who don't believe in themselves. I believe in you. But more importantly, God believes in you, and he will always believe in you. So if you prayed that prayer, I want to ask you to text the word SAVED. Please do this. Do it now or do it at lunch before you start talking about me. (laughs) We're always the roast. You know what I'm saying? I can't believe he said that. Trust me. You come back, you'll be saying that every week. (laughs) Text the word SAVED to 405-500-1310. Just text the word SAVED, 405-500-1310. Why is this important? Because it's the beginning of your testimony. You're doing something to make a statement and I, trust me, I pray that this goes off like like in Times Square, that, that that's digital, that your name goes across in hell. They got saved. And all the little demons will get slapped around by Satan himself. I love that picture. I can't believe that they get saved. Oh, anyway, okay. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Crowe. I just want to take a quick moment to thank you for joining us online. We hope you have a blessed week this week and get to be a blessing to those around you. I want to invite you to join us at Mosaic Church OKC next week at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. or join us online. God bless you.